On today's episode, we have the food and fitness power couple. Couple. One is a personal trainer. One is, and she's also a level two fascial stretch therapist. She's functional range, conditioning, mobility specialist, precision nutrition coach, level one exercise therapist, and has completed multiple courses in barbell, kettlebell, and movement. I'm tired just reading all of that. The other is a graduate of culinary management of Humber College with over 15 years of experience as head chef, head butcher, chief baker, pastry chef with Lynn Crawford, and has consulted with many different restaurants as a chef consultant. The titles and experience these two bring to the tables is incredible, as I've just mentioned, and they're both so passionate about their callings and the calling of their partner. Please welcome to this episode, Jason Cooney and Erica Scobie. Hey guys, thanks thanks for coming in. Thanks guys. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yeah. So uh, I'm super excited to have you guys on this week. Um, Jason and I, we've known each other for uh, a while and actually never met Erica, but uh, from what I've heard, good things, that's what's important. Um, But I think we should start and uh, let's see where both of you, uh, how you got to where you are. So what actually got you interested um, in cooking and to focus your career on that? And what got you so interested in fitness where you wanted to build kind of your career and your life around that as well? Do you want to start, Jay? (laughs) (laughs) I'll start. Yeah. Um, Well, I think I first got interested in restaurants because I enjoyed food a lot. And I thought, hey, maybe if I go work here, I'll get to eat some of this food and it might be better than the food I get at home some nights. And like, (laughs) for me, that was just my first sort of step into the restaurant world. And it just opened my eyes to so many cool uh, people at the time. Uh, so many neat skills and the craft that was involved and ultimately it led to uh, becoming this lifelong journey. Um, so really it was just a love of food at the beginning, but uh, I've just sort of been chasing all of the crafts and skills as in this ongoing endeavor and uh, trying to master some things along the way. Awesome. Yeah. So for me, um, it was a little bit later. Um, I didn't find fitness until sort of my late twenties. Um, I had actually taken art history in university, so a completely different path. Um, but I also have a history of, uh, sort of mental health challenges and some chronic pain as well, um, which I ended up finding out those two things are pretty closely linked for me. Um, and sort of in my late twenties through exploring some strategies, um, to kind of help me with those things, I ended up finding group fitness and that was a massive game changer for me. Um, about a year after that, I started actually teaching group fitness from there. I, uh, met and started working with a personal trainer and that was like really what set me on track to dive in more. Um, and realize my passion for human movement, as I like to call it. Um, so yeah, it was about finding strategies, number one, to help myself. Um, and then that was such an empowering experience just to f- realize and learn how adaptable our bodies can be and our brains. So yeah, it's very exciting for me. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I love it how you found your passions through your life. Um, That is as awesome. By the way, my favorite elective that I ever took in university, which was just an elective that I wasn't really intended in taking was art history. Loved it. Loved (laughs) it. Um, We are a food and fitness podcast. And one of the things about our food and fitness podcast is we don't define food nor we define fitness. 
and I and I'm a, a passionate about mental health. So I love how you talked about that as well. But we'll talk about that in subsequent episodes. Can you define or can you explain how each of you view food? So let me just provide some context. The three of us here have a very different kind of thought process with regards to food. Dave is very passionate about food. I eat because I have to eat. Um, so I'm not as passionate about it. So can you guys talk to me a little bit about how you view food, um, maybe prior to meeting each other and, and we'll talk the next thing. Um, maybe Erica has your food changed in a multiple, multitude of areas, but let's start first with, how do you each of you view food? Let's start off with Erica. Okay. Um, I find this question challenging to answer. Um, I think food is complicated um, and it's hard for me to separate sort of some of the, um, the, my work with my clients. And I would say that in general, like there are a lot of folks who have a very strained relationship with food. Um, and there's a lot of confusion there too. So like questions I hear a lot are like, should I do keto? Should I do gluten-free? Should I do plant-based? Like, and I'm not um, going to be passing judgment on any of those ways of eating. I've tried some of them myself. Um, but I think that for me, um, that kind of takes the focus away from a bigger issue or, or topic, which, um, so I like to view food kind of on a spectrum and on one end of the spectrum, um, we have food and on the other end, um, we have like products or food like products, you know, the processed stuff that, um, the industry has told us is food, but it's not really food. Um, so I think it's, it's complicated. Um, but that's kind of how I like to view it. It's a spectrum. There's like real food over here, fake food or processed stuff over here. Um, and I think no matter how you're choosing to eat, um, we should be trying to get closer to that food end of the spectrum. Um, yeah, that kind of, I guess, sums up some of my thoughts there, but it's a massive topic. So maybe Jay can add some other thoughts in there. Yeah, for sure. I think um, what you would, the juxtaposition you made in the beginning, Jackie, was really perfect between yourself and Dave. Um, and that's what makes it such a hard question for me to answer as well. Um, like obviously in its simplest form, food is just fuel. Um, as a chef, I just can't, let that be my motivation for creating it. And I mean, um, it is pretty amazing that our bodies just take these things that we put in our mouths and turn it into energy. <laughs> but uh, for me, it's just so much more. I think it's our bodies respond to it. Um, biologically, there are things that we just enjoy. And uh, for me, it's just about trying to create that enjoyment, trying to make food delicious. Um, nutritionally balanced as well, but ultimately like, how do I take something and make it delicious in a way that people can enjoy it? I love it. I love that answer. I love how Erica, you're talking about how it is complicated. It is very complicated. And, and granted, I have a complicated relationship with food, but, uh, and, and Dave is passionate about food. Um, in our house, and you're going to hate when I say this, um, we don't, we eat together as a family, but we kind of eat quickly and then go do something else. Isn't that awful? I'm sorry. Um, so Erica, because you've met Jason 
And I'm sure he's influenced you. Has your view of food changed since meeting Jason? Uh, very much so. Um, so I was probably more similar to you, Jackie. Um, and when I met Jason, I was sort of a few years into working in the fitness industry, but I hadn't taken any courses yet in nutrition. Um, so I knew food was important from like a, a fuel and, and like nutrient standpoint. Um, but I, I hadn't really devoted much energy towards uh, my own food or cooking. Um, so like my cooking at that time was meeting probably my basic needs, but it wasn't interesting to me. And I was sort of fine with that. Um, but Jason really opened up my mind to understanding that food could be both healthy um, and taste really great and to be interesting at the same time. So, yeah. That's actually something that uh, my wife says constantly is she used to uh, eat to survive and now she kind of enjoys a little bit more. Um, it's when we travel, we kind of pick destinations for food. Um, and I know there's a lot of people who are passionate about food who do that as well. And I mean, we walk it off like, okay, now we've earned our abilities to do this or like, that's kind of like how the conversation goes, which is, um, which is nice. But my, my view of food uh, has changed as well from since meeting my wife. And I'm probably sure the same has happened for Jason as well. So can you maybe talk a little bit more on that? If maybe um, Jason, your view on food has changed since meeting Erica. Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that changed was uh, when we met Erica had some dietary restrictions. And for me, it was like, I had this massive palette of food reduced to like a few colors. Right. And um, it was actually a really fun challenge for me to learn how to create something with fewer options. And, and you know, I didn't, we didn't, we ate the same food regardless. And it forced me into this box where I was like, okay, now I have to cut X, Y, and Z out of our diet what can I do to still get the same goals that I've always wanted? And it, it, it's actually made me a lot more creative <laughs> in so many ways. Um, and it's helped me adapt, especially in a restaurant setting where sometimes you don't know, we've got all this food prepped, we're ready to go. And then someone throws an allergy at you out of the blue and it's like, okay, now I got to think on my feet. It's like, it's like being on, top chef was like, okay, here's the challenge. Now how do we adapt? And yeah. I've got 15 minutes to feed this person. What, what are we going to do? Um, so it sort of just helps you build this arsenal and, and repertoire of uh, techniques and ingredients and, and ways to adapt. So for me, it's, it's been just really eye-opening in, in uh, so many ways. I love that. I love that you you took on the challenge and as a team decided that you're going to you're both going to switch up your diet and and find recipes. I'm kind of going through a similar thing right now where I have some dietary restrictions. Um, but my husband, as much as he is my team and stands behind me for everything, he is not following the same thing. And he's like, OK, you have your own restrictions, but I'm not restricted. So I'm going to go over and eat a steak enjoy your salmon but <laughs> I love that you guys teamed up and and tackled that because it's it's a huge endeavor finding um recipes that are delicious on a such a restricted diet for sure but yeah it was a fun journey as well and I and um we both learned a lot from it like 
especially at the time that we met, we were just at very different stages and yeah, it helped us grow together for sure. Yeah. And it's interesting, like my, um, like restrictions at that time, like over time have, have we've learned and opened up and my, my, um, food is a lot more diverse at this point, I would say than ever. And we can probably talk about that as we go through here, but yeah. Yeah. Let's, um, let's kind of expand on that a little bit, but let's talk about, um, the primal aspect of food. So we kind of chatted a little bit before, um, we started recording this, but the hunt, the forage, the original connection to food. Um, can you talk about foraging and how whole animal butchery and gardening keeps you connected to the food that you consume? Definitely. Um, so Jason introduced me to foraging. Um, and um, I actually, I meant to ask you this today, Jay. When did you learn about foraging? How did, I don't know how you learned about it. Um, I sort of had these chef idols that were obsessed with foraging when I was learning a lot when I was a young cook. And I think I just was like, what they're doing, that's gotta be the coolest thing for some reason. Like it was just trendy and I wanted to learn how to do that. And we're, I mean, I was very fortunate being living in rural Ontario where I could literally go into my backyard at the time and it's like, oh, that's edible, that's edible. What can we do with this? And, and I just read a lot over the years. Very cool. Um, yeah, I think that it has allowed me to connect with um, my food on a very primal level. Like it's one of my favorite things that we do every year when we go out. And um, I think what strikes me the most about it is how it really forces you to slow down and be completely present with nature because you're going to, you're going to miss like that morel mushroom if you don't really pay attention. Right. Um and the other thing that stands out to me is like the idea of like this um, just kind of like human reward system. Um, like when you find that thing that you're looking for, you can feel this little like hit of I'm guessing dopamine. And I swear it's the same as or no different from like when your phone goes off. It's like triggering that same kind of primal um, I guess reward system is the best way to, to describe it. And I find that really interesting and uh, yeah, it's just been a really cool thing that we have uh, been able to do together. Um, from a gardening standpoint. Yeah. Jay is the gardening guy, hundred percent. Like he's taken that on for sure. But um, the last couple of years, um, our gardens have kind of grown and grown um, this year. He put in two new raised beds. So that's been pretty exciting. And like the veggies look awesome this year, Jay. <laughs> Crushing it. <laughs> Maybe you can talk season. more about the, about the gardens. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, with gardening, foraging um, and, and butchery you'd mentioned as well, all of those things just take so much work. And uh, it's that for me, it's eye-opening, like, to see how much work goes into the food before we receive it. So it really does connect you with the food itself. Um, with butchery, for example, like you, you realize how important every single ounce is and not even from a cost perspective, but just from the fact that you don't want to waste anything. 
Um, same goes for gardening. Like when you put all this work into growing something all year long, you're not going to, you're not going to put it in your fridge and then it's going to end up in the compost. Like you're going to utilize it. And you're probably like definitely going to like make sure you appreciate it. And, uh, I mean, yeah, same goes for foraging. Um, and all, all of our food, there's like all of these steps. And I think we take it for granted as a chef, uh, we take for granted like these beautiful vegetables show up in a pristine box and it just gets dropped off at your back door. You open it and it's ready to go. And uh, same goes for butchers. Um, if you aren't seeing the whole process of the animal from start to finish, you, you, um, you know, from a cow, becoming a steak, you, you don't realize how much work goes into every single cut. And it's really easy to just, you know, open up a styrofoam package with meat and slap it in a pan and cook it. Um, same goes for vegetables, produce, seafood. Um, but like, ultimately, when you're eating, uh, you're forced to after sort of, I guess, after you see how much work goes into all those things, all those crafts, um, mm -hmm. you better damn well respect the process. <laughs> like. Someone and put I think a lot it of work also, um, it does make it more meaningful somehow. I was just thinking about like our sandwiches we had this morning. So we had like Jamie, these killer sandwiches for breakfast. And it was like our, our neighbor's eggs and like greens from our garden. And then Jay had made the, the buns and it, and as I'm eating it, I'm like thinking about that. I'm like, this is so cool. Like I feel it is a deeper connection to the food and kind of the process of how it came to be. So I, I love that. Um, and this is something that I don't do, but you know, when I have these conversations with people, I think back to it, it pre pre colonization and even some cultures honor their food, right? So they butcher the animal and they honor the animal. And I think that that's what you guys are talking about is honoring your food and recognizing where it's come from and, you know, giving thanks for the work that's been put into it. And, you can't do that when it comes out of a styrofoam container at the grocery store. So I, I sure. love that you guys have reminded me of that. Thank you. For sure. I think one of the most interesting things is um, I was down at, uh, at the place where Jason was working and there was a steak in the cooler, the spider steak, no clue, never heard about it before in my life. <laughs> and I was like, where, where's this part on the cow? And you're like, Oh, come here. We walk to the back of the cooler and you're like, that's where it is. And I was like, whoa. And to me, like, that was something that you'll never find out. Well, you'll never find that cut in a grocery store. But um, most butcher shops, you probably would never be able to see that because they may already, it may be cut down to primal cuts. But having that connection with your food as a consumer, I think you respect it a lot more as well. And a chef who's that passionate about their food, it gets put onto the consumer as well. And rather than just slapping a plate down when you know you have the passion of the chef that bleeds into the passion of the front of the house and then they have that passion spill over onto the, the customer, it makes the whole experience significantly better. And I mean, I've, I've been to a couple different places where that's happened and I think those meals are to me more interesting because you learn as well as enjoy. So it's kind of, edutainment for that kind of stuff right yeah 100 percent. education is such an important factor in in what i do and sometimes it's as simple as like i need to 
explain, not even explain, but sort of educate a guest. It's like, this is why this is better. This might be why you have to pay a bit more for it, but you're going to reap the benefits and it's going to be nutritional. It's going to be flavor. Um, and, it, and it is a process and, and not everyone's open to it, but it's, it, we are passionate about it. And especially when it comes to uh, local food, really good quality food, um, supporting local agriculture as well. Like it, it's, it's sort of part of my mission anyway, but uh, yeah, education's key. How do you share your passion about a product with the serving staff and make sure that they carry that same passion when they're writing the menu or when the menu is being written or when the, the customer orders it at the table? How does that pass down? Um, it's just conversational normally, and you have to have staff that are open to learning as well. And uh, usually then that passion is just imbibed through them and the, the guests understand it. Um, a lot can even be, you know, sort of written just in the way a menu is written. I think people can sort of read through it and in the way that it's worded, they're going to understand what your mission is, what your message is and what you're doing. And, and uh, I mean, even if it's not glaringly obvious, there, there's something there people can understand they can read between the lines you know it's like okay i, I could they know they're going to get a good meal they could know if you're using local ingredients already that you care if you have enough pride to put a farmer's name on your menu like that says a lot about your decisions up until that point like if you're naming a farmer's greens if you're using a specific farmer's meats like that's that speaks volumes um and that's, that's, I mean, your menus are probably the first way you start that conversation as well. That's awesome. So when it comes to food, um, you have your basic needs kind of, which we talked about earlier, and then you have, um, you're eating for pleasure. So where, where do you think the line is from your basic minerals, nutrients to eating for pleasure? Like, where do you think that line is where you go from basic need to I don't want to say gluttony, but you know what I mean. But like in, enjoyable <laughs> from neat, from a necessity to entertainment for food. How does that, where does that line go? Yeah, that, that's both of you. It's such a hard thing to define. I don't, I don't like to think that there's a line to cross. Ultimately, I think that um, it's obviously important that we have a healthy respect for food. Um, we should, you know, we shouldn't overindulge in any way, but um, I don't think that associating pleasure with food is crossing a line, which is um, sort of a dangerous juggling act there when you start, to, because I mean, there would be a tipping point. Um, I mean, obviously if we ate birthday cake every day of the week, we might get into some trouble. <laughs> um, so it's important to maintain some mindfulness around what we're eating in general. <laughs> but I guess um, what I'm, Kind of dancing around is that eating for pleasure is sometimes confused with indulgence or overindulgence um and for me something completely different uh it's something completely different for example like if we go foraging and i only find three morel mushrooms and i know if i don't find any more it's going to be another year before they're back in season for me that's an indulgence we're going to eat three mushrooms and we're going to enjoy the heck out of them <laughs> 
and we're going to wait another year until they're back. Um, but yeah, trying to find that line is a hard dance. Um, it makes me think about this um, reference from Michael Pollan in uh, his book In Defense of Food. And he references this study where Americans and uh, people from France were questioned on their thoughts and associations around eating cake, which is perfect. I use the birthday cake reference, but um, in France, the association with cake is celebration um, with joy. It's happiness. It's um, it's, it's all positive. And then Americans, for whatever reason, or wherever this study was taken at the time, they associated it with guilt um, and it sort of is an interesting juxtaposition, obviously, but I think it is really important that we can eat cake. We can have uh, all of these things. It's just about mindfulness and the big picture. Um, maybe stick to birthday cake on birthdays though. <laughs> Carrot cake for the rest of the, the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I can echo a lot of that, um, but I think that there it can be a healthy mix of meeting uh, those needs and eating for pleasure. I think that can be the same thing sometimes. Um, I also think that I love the idea of like the mindfulness approach. Um, and I think that the choices that we make most of the time are going to be a lot more powerful than the choices you make some of the time. Um, so what you do most of the time is that it's the exactly, exactly what you were saying, Jay, about like, you know, it's not birthday cake every day, but it's like, as long as what you're doing most of the time is, um, you know, meeting those nutritional needs, then, uh, those indulgences don't, um, isn't going to make or break that, I guess. Um, but I think the key word in all of that is choice. Um, I think that making those decisions mindfully and also owning those decisions is, is powerful and um, important for people. Um, in my work specifically, I, I see a lot of folks attaching guilt to that indulgence, um, guilt and shame. And I don't think that that's a helpful thing. Um, I think that if you're going to make the choice to indulge in something like then own that, enjoy it. Um, you don't need the extra stress of beating yourself up over it. Um, I think on the flip side of that, sometimes we um, get in kind of social situations where we might be pressured into indulging in something that we don't really want in that moment. Like when your coworker brings in like the, the cake and it's got like the bright blue frosting and I'm not really into that kind of a cake. So like, I think it's okay as well to be able to exercise your choice in not um, feeling pressured into uh, indulging just because, um, you know, that's the expectation there. I, I love that, you know, and as you're talking, I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm, I'm, why can't food, like, why can't sustenance and pleasure be the same thing? Mm -hmm. um, and I remember, you know, we talked about episodes, our favorite meal, and I was like, um, I remember a guy made mashed potatoes, and I think he put beet juice or something in them. But they're probably, he was a chef and it was years ago in a backyard kind of barbecue. And I was like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. And for him, it was like, yeah, this is just what I make all the time. But 
it was so pleasurable. I remember slowing down and being like, I want more. Like it was just melting in my mouth and all my taste buds are on fire. That was probably the only time I've ever seriously experienced that. So I love the fact that you say, you know what? Food can also sustain you, but why can't it taste well and give me pleasure simultaneously? So, yeah. Jason, as someone who has developed their career in the restaurant industry, how have you felt through this pandemic not having a connection with clients and staff? Um, like, I see this from my end. We order takeout every Friday because we want to support local. And it's just not the same. Like, we take it out and we're like, the food just isn't, like, it just doesn't taste as good. Um, so we've lost that connection with the food, but how does the kitchen feel about that? How does the guy who's making the menu feel about that as well? Um, yeah, I think connection is the key word there. And, uh, if there's one thing that we've all suffered from through this pandemic, the restaurant industry is, is not immune to it. It is that just that disconnect from, from people and each other in general, <laughs> maybe, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're missing out on the connections with the remainder staff. We've had a lot of people laid off through the year. Um, we just aren't as busy. Um, kind of miss having people in the building and creating the environment. Like that's, that's why we're in the restaurant industry. We want people to be out and enjoying themselves. And it's the furthest thing that we've been allowed to do in the past year and a half. Like. The reason we're in the industry is literally to put people together to like in a small room and enjoy, enjoy themselves. And that's, that's been our whole uh, mission there. So uh, yeah, we're missing it big time as uh, where we are today, this week, we're, you know, able to eat outside and it's incredible how much uh, more excited all the staff has been in general and seeing customers, they sort of just melt into their seats when they can dine out again <laughs> and they don't want to move. Everyone's missed that connection. hundred percent. There's a local restaurant and they have a harvest table and I love it. Um, you know, and you sit there with strangers and we've talked on this podcast about food as community as well. You know, you break bread as a community. So um, I, I, I've missed that tremendously. So I can imagine that that's been difficult for you guys as well. On the flip side, what are you guys looking forward to in the future with regards to the restaurant industry? Um, yeah, regaining those connections right now is going to be very key. I, I really look forward to getting people back in the building. And this ties into what we were saying earlier about education. Like I want to reconnect with our farmers, with our suppliers. I want to connect our clients with those products and make those connections. So, so we're building that community again. Yeah, I, I love it. And I couldn't agree more. Food is community and we are all missing that. Um, so I'm so, so glad and so hopeful that everything is opening up. Um, so Erica, we talked a little bit earlier about how um, your food in general has changed a little bit since meeting Jason. Um, has your overall style of eating changed? Um, for sure. Yes. Um, I think I would say I'm a lot more adventurous now. 
Um, I've tried things that I never would have thought. And Dave, you mentioned travel earlier. Um, and whenever, you know, we have been able to travel back in the travel days, um, like a lot of our destinations ended up being around food. Like Jason was always like, we got to go to this place or this place. And like that has become one of my favorite aspects of travel. Um, and yeah, so I think a lot more adventurous. Um, I'm also slowly, Jason would probably say slowly learning <laughs> to prepare food. Um, <laughs> and like learning from him things like how flavors work together, how to build flavor, um, like how to season things, stuff like that. Um, I was following a fairly restrictive diet for quite a while before meeting Jay. Um, I was having some health problems and I was um, following a gluten-free diet for a number of years. And Jason actually opened my um, eyes to exploring some different options that ended up working for me. Um, the first one we found was double O flour. Um, and like we tried making a pizza crust out of it and it's a, a certain flour from Italy. Is that right, Jay? Yep. Yeah. And, uh, turned out like I, I tolerated it brilliantly. Like it, it was great. Um, and then more recently, um, he's been making sourdough and that has also worked really well. And so it, it was like a learning experience for me that not all gluten is equal either. And there's a spectrum there too, with quality. Um, and that's been, um, I don't know, it's allowed me to open up and diversify my palate as well, I guess. That's awesome. So yeah. besides, um, like breads and stuff, what is one thing that you wouldn't eat before that now you, you love? Um, we've, we've talked before that, um, I think one time we talked about what our, all, all our favorite vegetables are and I, I'm pretty adventurous and I don't dislike a lot of food, but when I was a kid, I really didn't like Brussels sprouts. Um, and now they're my favorite. Jackie still doesn't like them. Um, but Absolutely. is there, is there something like that that's happened to you where you, you didn't like it before, but now all of a sudden you do? Um, it's actually funny you mentioned Brussels sprouts cause I also didn't care for them and I love them now. It's one of my favorite veggies now too. Um, and I think it's in the preparation of them that, that, uh, is different. That's all the magic. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else specifically, um, probably like getting into like, I don't even know, Jay, can you, can you think of anything? I, I just think of all the weird things. Like when we were on the East coast and then we ate that like sea urchin. And that like, what was it like a quail egg? I didn't yeah. care for that actually. So that's not even relevant, but <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I think you've always been open to trying everything that we've had. Yeah. 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 I, th I don't, I don't think that there's anything that I've turned you on to more. I've probably just exposed you to a lot more. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, and also, so back to the first question. So um, do you advise eating certain things um, that partner with certain workouts or goals that your clients have? Um, like, has that part kind of changed? Um, so I do advise clients on uh, nutrition. Um, it's definitely not a one size fits all approach. Um, humans are very diverse and it's, it's very specific to each individual. Um, factoring in so but I care about you know people's likes and, and dislikes and of course like any 
intolerances and, and stuff like that. Um, I think broadly speaking, the common themes are encouraging clients to move towards the minimally processed end of the spectrum yeah. um, and take that more mindful approach towards eating. Um, beyond that, like I'm all for um, clients experimenting with different approaches and really like observing how their body responds to certain things, because again, it's not, it's not a one size fits all. And if anyone tells you that like they have the magical answer, they're lying, run far <laughs> away. <laughs> I love that. Um, now, before, uh, we did this recording, um, I sent an email out to you guys and, uh, Erica mentioned something that uh, you wanted to talk about and um, it was hunting. And I don't know if anyone here actually does hunt, but I'm sure we may all know hunters or uh, have relationships with them, but like, that's kind of like the circle. I wouldn't say this, this, yeah, the circle of life when it comes to that is um, researching um, the animal the benefits of the of the protein, uh, harvesting the animal, preparing it, and then consuming it, and kind of want to put it out there for everybody. And we're not—I don't want to start, you know, a terrible uh, landslide on this, but I think it's a great opportunity for people um, to talk about it and maybe just to learn um, on kind of your views uh, on this. And maybe is it something that you're interested in? Why you would be interested in it? kind of like that. So since Erica brought it up originally, let's see, let's see what you want to say first. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So the reason I brought it up, I was just brainstorming and kind of thinking about that, like primal aspect and um, it kind of goes hand in hand with, um, you know, foraging, like the hunter gatherer um, ancestry um, that we have. And I, I, brought it up because I don't hunt. Jason doesn't hunt. Um, we have some proximity to, we have some friends who do hunt and Jason's been, um, involved from like a butchery standpoint, um, with, with them. Um, but I, it is an art that I do have a tremendous amount of respect for. Um, and there's no doubt that there is such a much uh, more deeper connection to the food there as well. Um, And Jackie, you brought up the idea of like honoring the life of an animal or honoring the food. And I agree. I feel like that is something that we have lost or is lost when you pick your meat off a shelf. Um, I know as well that some people have a hard time seeing a full animal. Like Jay's kind of told me about that in the, in the butcher shop. Um, And I think maybe we should see that in some way. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I was going with it. I just think it's an interesting um, topic that I don't really know too much about. So, and if we want to cut this, you can totally cut this too, by the way. But yeah, that's kind of, it was just like a thought. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't, I don't hunt myself and I would probably lean to more, more of a vegetarian. Um, I just don't really enjoy meat that much, but I appreciate people who do. And my brother-in-law is a big hunter and they stash their, they hunt to fill their freezer. And so he bags his deer and they have a garden and they have cows and stuff. And they use, you know, the animal to its fullest. And 
you know, I'm thinking I bought groceries today and I'm like, I bought pork chops. And you're right. Like it's a pink thing in the styrofoam package that I never really even thought of, but that was a live animal at some point. Um, and I really think you're right. Like I remember eggs, my going to my sister's place and she went and collected some eggs and they had dirt and stuff all over them. I'd already talked about this in another podcast. I'm like, Ooh. And she's like, that's what eggs look like. They don't come <laughs> in a box all nice and pretty and clean. I'm like, you're right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think you guys have hit something really interesting in the whole educational component of educating people where your food comes from. Um, yeah. Did you want to comment on that a little bit more? I'm, I'm like, my brain's going like this. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely a huge disconnect. I saw that being a butcher. Um, and realistically, that hunter-gatherer lifestyle was probably ex extraordinarily hard, but also very healthy. And I know Erica could comment on this more about how much movement would have gone into foraging, yeah, hunting, yeah. and gathering, yeah. and how... Uh, I mean, sustaining yourself to live like we, it would have been a incredibly beneficial. And when you think about hunters now, like it, there's again, so much work that goes into that process and it, it, there's, I have the utmost respect for it. And uh, I'm, I'm even honored just when somebody asks me to come and help them butcher a deer, like that's a, a really neat thing to be a part of. And I can help teach them how to better utilize the animal, um, how to, maybe get a better yield and, and, you know, get the most bang for your buck. Um, well, wow, pun in, was not intended there, <laughs> but uh, I, I mean, the reality is we can't go back to a hunter gatherer lifestyle either. Um, you could kind of imagine what that would look like if we just like, you know, set a bunch of cows free and then said, we have to go hunt that like <laughs> it would be absolute chaos. Um, we have such a, an important role now to take care of these animals. Um, animal husbandry is like a really important uh, part of the farming movement that we need to consider. Um, but I mean, farming and agriculture, again, it's just uh, so much work involved and uh, just bringing education around maybe to that aspect versus the hunter gatherer lifestyle. I'm, I'm all for hunting, completely pro hunting. I just, uh, like I said, we can't live like that as a society. It's, uh, it's um, somewhere in the middle that we have to find like um, a way to educate, pe educate people around food and uh, bring them closer to their food. Yeah. And I think there's been like a real move towards like small um, local farming. Like um, I know you uh, had Rebecca Lamon on um, we listened to that episode earlier on today, but um, like, it seems like people are getting a lot more educated and there, yeah, there's gotta be like a middle ground there between like bringing back the connection um, to our food and where it comes from. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the nice thing is when you have activists who, um, are pro hunting in an educational way um, where they want to teach the, teach people about kind of the lifestyle of the animal. 
the whole way that it goes and then that connection. And I mean, even in Canada, different provinces have different rules on what you can and cannot consume um, wild and farmed, which is um, always interesting. And I mean, I've been fortunate enough to be in certain places where I'm actually consuming a protein that's right around me. Like we were in Alberta and I was having bison as a herd was like trampling across the plains. To me, that was kind of insane um, to have that connection, to see how close um, I was to it. And everyone kind of just took a moment in the meal and it was like the whole dining room went quiet. And it was like, everyone was just kind of was just like, that's where it came from. This is what we're doing. And there was like, kind of like a, a whole appreciation that went through the dining room, which is uh, kind of interesting. And, and like catching a fish on a boat and cooking it right on the boat. I mean, to me, like that's the connection. Um, and then for, for myself, when it comes to that, I think a lot of people yeah, are so disconnected, but there's such great opportunity when you have people who are passionate about um, their jobs. And I mean, uh, people like, like yourselves and uh, other small farmers and chefs that are around there and they want to take the time to educate people or you go to a whole, whole animal restaurant and their menu has things that most people don't recognize, but they're asking a question of, Hey, what does this cut mean? Or like, how should I cook this cut? And knowing that if you're eating pork, you can, if you know where it's coming from, you can eat it at a different temperature than maybe you could if it came from a supermarket kind of thing. Right. Those are the kinds of things like I'll read, a, I'll read a, a cookbook and like I'll just take it all in and I love it. And I watch videos about food and it's ridiculous. And my wife, I think laughs at me sometimes, but for me, like I learned how to make mustard, but it took me like six hours of research of watching different videos before I got her, like how to cook different steaks. Like when Jason would give me a steak, I took hours to try and figure out what's the best way to cook or ingredients to make it, you know, the best it can be. So I, I know that I appreciate people like you guys uh, for someone who's super passionate about food and who wants to educate the public when it comes around. So I think hunters can do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we have, um, a responsibility for the animals and i think uh ethically we really do need to consider that and uh whether it's it is on a farm that's doing a really nice job of raising animals ethically or a hunter um that's sort of on one side of the spectrum and we do have the choice to hunt to shop responsibly and then on the other side there's you know factory farming and all the dark sides of industrial agriculture um, I hope we kind of steer away from that in as many ways as we can. And just, uh, I think what those farmers and ethical farmers and hunters have in common is probably those animals only have one bad day. Um, and I think that's really important when it comes to the choices we make. Like you want to know that animals were raised well and dispatched quickly and responsibly. And I think when it comes to hunting that's that's part of the debate that people really don't like to talk about but it's the most important thing to talk about is that maybe it's more ethical also i mean maybe if this animal lived its life out in the wild it could have been sick it could have you know like it could have been attacked by another animal it could have been a far worse end than what it met at the hands of a hunter 
I mean, I've been, I've driven through Michigan and sometimes you just see like dozens of deer on the side of the road and it's just like, there's so many opportunities for that to be like quality consumed meat. So, I mean, it's hard. Yeah, just Dave and I have a passion for our food bank and helping it. And, and you know, uh, that's one of the things, and I don't know if that's an initiative the food bank can take on, but, you know, you're limited to the amount that you can hunt, but can we use that meat? Can we use the skills of a butcher to be able to have cuts of um, uh, deer or, or bear or whatever that a hunter can have and, you know, give it away? Um, yeah, I mean, this is, the, the hunting thing is, is super, super interesting. Um, I'm gonna end shortly, but is there anything about uh, food stuff that you want to tell us a little bit more about? We're gonna split this in two episodes because you guys are fascinating. So we really focus this one on food um, and then we'll come back in the next episode for fitness. But is there anything you wanna share with us with regards to uh, food and um, yeah, just anything. I mean, it's such a huge topic. Erica? I don't think I have anything. <laughs> well, I will ask because I'd be wondering since we started yeah. talking about foraging. I know you've, you've mentioned morale mushrooms a couple of times, um, but what are your favorite things to forage if you could choose one, one or two things? Um, wild leeks are the other one that I really like. We do that every spring as well. Um, Jay? Wild leeks are a great one. Mm -hmm. um, they're easy, easy to find. Good for like a beginner forager and mm -hmm. the flavor is just uncomparable. Like there's nothing, awesome. there's nothing that we grow that tastes like a wild leek. It's extremely unique. It's just a flavor bomb and uh, they're, they're pretty easy to spot. Um, after that, I think um, just mushrooms in general is a lot of fun. That's super challenging <laughs> because yeah. there's just such a wide variety, but they're available year round. Well, not year round, sorry, not in our winter, but from spring to fall, there's mushrooms that just come and go and uh, spotting them and identifying them is a really fun challenge. That's awesome. And wild leeks are definitely nothing like the ones in the store. I've had the ones in the store all like my entire life. And then a couple of years ago, my brother-in-law showed me what actual wild leeks were. Um, and then when the first couple of weeks after, you know, things start to pop up in the forest, you go walking and the only green things you spot are wild leeks. And it's like, oh, I've seen these my entire life. I just had no idea what they were. Uh, they're one of my favorite things to forage too. You guys have talked, uh, I want to keep going, but I'm sensitive to the time. Um, and I just put a plug out here for anybody who's interested. I'm always interested in business and other people starting business, not me. If I were somebody who's smart and had the energy and the, the, the wherewithal, I would love to see a course about food and you know, going for a walk in the woods. And I, I actually have no idea what a wild leek looks like. Um, if I picked a mushroom, it would definitely be poisonous. Um, I know nothing about this, but I would love to know more about it. Uh, so that's just something I'm throwing out to you guys. If you want to put on a 
course uh, <laughs> would be fabulous. And you would sign me up like in a heartbeat. So yeah. Is there anything about uh, that you want to plug for yourself before we sign off? Um, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, a great place to start. Um, there's all these great local food maps that are available. Um, I can't think of the names of any off the top of my head. I know there's the Dufferin area food map and it's just sort of gives you all these locations of farmers markets and small farms. And they've already put in the work to kind of find these great little artisan shops. Um, when it comes to foraging, YouTube is your friend. It's <laughs> for me, it's the easiest way to like access information really quickly. If I have a question, it's pretty convenient to be able to pull your phone out of your pocket sometimes and just, you know, look up what to look for. Is this a mushroom that I should be having or not? Um, yeah, I gotta be careful with the mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, those are gonna be some really good resources. Go to your farmer's market, local farmer's markets, great way to meet farmers. And that interface you have is priceless. Um, You'll learn so much. Those people are also passionate. Um, that's where I learned a lot about vegetables early on in my career. And uh, again, back to community, like those are the relationships that I've really treasured my whole career and life from friendships to helping me um, in restaurants and other businesses. So yeah, go to, go to farmer's markets and talk to the people there. Thank you guys so much for sharing your information on food. I still have a whole bunch of questions here, but uh, we are going to split this, like I said, into two episodes. So please come back and see their views on fitness. Thank you for watching and listening to this week's episode of the Food and Fitness Podcast. Join us next time when we continue our interview with Erica and Jason. We will dive in and focus more on fitness, what it means to everyone, and how it can impact us mentally and physically.